JC Corcoran Podcast. You're a close mouth man. Oh, I like to talk. I tell you right out, I'm a man who likes talking to a man who likes to talk. For over 200 years, freedom of speech has been the cornerstone of American democracy. Yet there is one word that Washington doesn't want you to use. The word f***. The politicians want you to use words like fudge or fooey. But it's not the same as having the freedom to say, hey, f*** face, go f*** yourself. Send a message to the politicians who would keep you from using f***. Vote yes on Proposition F. Proposition F guarantees your right to say f*** you, f*** it, f*** all, and f*** an A, whenever and wherever you choose. And isn't that what our f***ing forefathers f***ing fought for? This election day, vote f*** yes on Proposition F. Paid for by the committee to make f*** an accepted part of the English language. This is America, Lois. Men have always run things, and there have never been any problems whatsoever. And don't say the economy or Iraq or income inequality or racism or Brett Kavanaugh or air pollution or Vietnam or slavery or Watergate or capitalism or Me Too or homelessness or police brutality or homophobia or Monica Lewinsky or school shootings or Native American genocide or Fox News or Tim Allen or climate change. Uh, you make a good point. No, I'm just getting warmed up. Happy to see you again. Don't be nervous, don't be rocky, you're our teenage guest is jockey now. And let me begin by wishing you a beautiful, look. Did that voice inside you say, I've heard it all before, it's like deja vu all over again. Tuesday, July 11th, 2023, how you doing kids? You are at jconthelinecom Sorry about yesterday when the posting of the podcast got delayed by a couple of hours. It just happens every once in a while. Computers, what can I say? We're going to have some fun today. We were talking about this on the radio show this morning. You do the morning show on the new radio stations, 101.5 in St. Louis and still 101.7 West and beyond. We stream at kwolf.com. You don't need the dash anymore, by the way. It's kwulf, kwolf.com, and you can listen to the station and to the morning show in clean, crisp, clear, digital sound. But we were talking about this yesterday, that it was the 10th anniversary of the closing of Crestwood Plaza. Now, I have a lot of really fond memories. When you move somewhere, especially when you move and you are very hopeful, you know, sometimes you move and you're like, this is going to suck. I don't even want to leave. But once in a while, you get involved in a move or sometimes not even a physical move. Maybe you're just going from one side of town to the other. You stay where you are in terms of your personal life and your home and everything like that. But now you're just exposed to all bunch of new stuff. But in my case, Coming back to the Midwest, I had never even been to St. Louis. I'd been around St. Louis. I had listened to St. Louis radio stations before from far away, but I had never actually physically been here. However, you spend a couple of years out in the east, and for me, that was Washington, D.C., which was fun, but you need a lot of money. It's so expensive to live there, and I didn't like the gridlock, and I just wasn't really ready for the situation. So then I went to Buffalo. Now you go from Washington, D.C., which is like Paris, to Buffalo, which is like Warsaw, and all the snow and just the bad weather and just a community that uh, didn't exactly welcome me with open arms and 
high unemployment rate was very, very depressing. Even though I liked going over to Toronto, that was really cool. I love these international cities like Toronto and Chicago, probably two of my favorite international cities. San Francisco maybe used to be, but that place has really changed. And so is Chicago for that matter, but I digress. So I moved to St. Louis in 1984. And it was you know, like coming home, even though I'd never been here. But it felt like the Midwest, and to me, that felt like home. And it wasn't long before I started making friends, and one of the ways I made friends was I would get off the radio show at 10 o'clock every day, I would just wander over to Crestwood Plaza and just sort of roam around. And people started recognizing me, in a lot of cases recognizing my voice, because they were at work, and they had the radio station on, and now there's this guy talking to them, and they're like, you sound like the guy on the radio. It's like, well, it's because I am the guy on the radio. And then we would start talking. You'd make friends. I would say their name on the air the next day. Everybody was very, very excited. It was really a fun time. And for me, you know, Crestwood Plaza for those first few months was really my entire social stratus. So when you start talking about the place closing, the 10th year anniversary yesterday, I went on Facebook and just basically said, if you got a story about Crestwood Plaza, let me know and I'll do it on the air tomorrow and on the podcast. And so we're having an opportunity to do that now. Like I I would go over to York Steakhouse and it was sort of interesting because you would get a tray, like a fast food place, except when you got up to the front, you know, you'd make your order and they would cook you a steak. And was it quality meat like Citizen Canes and Kirkwood? No, but it was fine, you know, for a lunch, you know, you get some veggies and maybe some mashed potatoes or something like that. And you have yourself a steak at York Steakhouse. I loved that place. CPI photo. Now that was more interesting because I had friends who lived there. Now, again, you have to place yourself in the mindset of 1984 where we still had film cameras. And you would take your pictures. And when I try to explain this to my 13-year-old daughter, she looks at me like I'm from Mars. But like, you, know, you just couldn't take a picture and see it instantly. You had, to, you had to wait until the film roll was shot out. And then you would take it, and they would develop it for you. And then they would give you your physical trace pictures. Like I said, she looked at me like I was crazy. But uh, people would take pictures of things that uh, I guess back then – company policy for some of these places was, well, you know, if there's nudity or something like that, we can't print the picture. And you'd go to pick up your pictures and go, hey, where's those pictures of Amy's tits? And Amy had great ones, by the way. But, you know, you you just said that picture would be missing, you know. But you know where it ended up? It ended up being developed, but being put in a binder for the employees of CPI Photo who would share the pictures with one another and sometimes with yours truly and and it wasn't just nudity either it was just like really really bizarre stuff and they kept a collection and i would get the chance to see it every once in a while over there at cpi photo my buddy bob scarato has got a great place now on the hill but uh athens cafe one of the locations was there in the basement down with the movie theater so like i said yesterday i was like if you got a good story uh tell me about it maybe i'll use it a lot of people had jobs there you know we were all just kids then i was 30 or 31 at the time a lot of you guys were like you know 18, 19, 20 years old, had part-time jobs there. I haven't heard this name in so long. Jackard's Jewelry. That was back in the middle 1970s. Donald sent that one along. 
Matt says, I had my first job at the food court. Oh, by the way, apparently there's still one York Steakhouse remaining. It's in Columbus, Ohio, but that's probably it. Uh, Karen says, back in the day, Santa Claus would come by in a helicopter on Black Friday, really special for the kids. And there was a salad place there called The Lettuce Leaf. I remember that place. The Tinderbox? Robert says, I saw the Three Stooges there in the early 60s. Glenn says, I worked at Waymiller Jewelers. Senior year, dated a barista who worked at Gloria Jean's Coffee Beans and a girl who worked uh, the makeup counter at Sticks, Bear, and Fuller, otherwise known as Dillard's. See, that's the stuff I'm looking for because, like I said, not only for me, but for a lot of people, you know, that's where you met people. You got dates. You picked up people. Waymiller Jewelers. Pat says, I was a directory assistance operator for Southwestern Bell there, 79 and 80. You were across the road, and I thought it was so cool to be able to park in the underground parking garage, take the elevator up to our offices. It was right near Orange Julius, and she says she used to eat at the um, the counter at Woolworths. That actually goes back to the days before the mall was enclosed. That was an open-air mall for a number of years, and then they enclosed the whole thing sometime later. The Limited was over there. I think there was a chess king there. Ray, who used to play for the Smash Band, says I was general manager of Ludwig Music Store for a short time. Terry, I bought all of my appliances for my house at Sears at Crestwood Plaza 22 years ago. They still work. Scott, I was the assistant manager at Camelot Music. Kathleen, it was my hangout when I was like 12 through 15 years old. All of us from Lindbergh High School hung out there every Saturday. Lori, hi, Lore. I worked at Merry Go Round. My other friend, Michelle. Michelle was the one who uh, I was trying to pick up. And I went on the air the following day and I mentioned her by name and I said, She's so cute, I want to drink her bath water. She got a lot of response from that. And she was the computer systems consultant at Forsyth Computers. My buddy Bill Teamer. Hello, Bill. Gregory's Popcorn, Candies, and Nuts, which I still find to be an unusual combination of products for one store. Rochelle worked at Fredericks of Hollywood. The Coat Warehouse is another Jackard's Jewelers. That's just a little sampling of some of the responses we got. But uh, again, like I said, 10 years ago yesterday, the closing of Crestwood Plaza sort of made me sad. You know, sort of made me sad. It was on this day back in 1988 we decided to take the show to Cincinnati. Why would you go to Cincinnati? Well, the Major League Baseball All-Star game was going on there. And so we wangled a couple of uh, press passes. It was a lot easier to get them back then. And we uh, were roaming around the field. And one of the first people I ran into was Larry King. But we set up from uh, one of the hotels in downtown Cincinnati and did our broadcasts there. Interesting little trip. And because when you think of Cincinnati, I think the first thing a lot of people is WKRP in Cincinnati. We ran into Gordon Jump who played the big guy, the general manager at WKRP in the TV series. And he was there like doing some sort of promotional thing or something during All-Star Game Week. And we went up to him and asked him for an interview, and he said no. And about 10 minutes later, he came back and said yes. And to be honest with you, the way he was in real life was not that different from the character he played on WKRP in Cincinnati. He sort of like, you know, stumbled and was always acting like he wasn't that 100% sure of himself or what he was doing. He was a lovely guy. It was just one of those things we did on this date back in 1988, 35 years ago. 
I had a chance to play some Peter Frampton on the K-Wolf Morning Show today, and it reminded me of a story. I, I, I may have told this story on the podcast before. I'm not really sure. But um, back in 1982, I was working at DC 101 radio station in Washington, D.C., and Howard was there, and uh, Smash was getting ready to come in, and a couple of other people. And uh, I was in middle-level management at that time, if you can believe this, I was trying to legitimize my career. I had this crazy idea that being an on-air radio personality wasn't going to be fulfilling enough. So I figured, well, you know, I'll run radio stations. So I did that for a number of years when I was a program director and a marketing director and all that sort of stuff. And uh, Peter Frampton was playing at a place called the Wax Museum. He was trying to revive his career after the amazing, the astonishing Frampton Comes Alive phenomenon back in the middle 1970s. And then, of course, he fell out of favor that uh, Sergeant Pepper's thing with uh, the Bee Gees. That didn't help, sort of playing the fourth Bee Gee. And he descended into the role of a matinee idol as opposed to an honest-to-God musician. And his career just went flying off the rails, and he was in big trouble. So this is the early 80s, and he's trying to revive his career, and he comes to Washington, D.C., and he plays a place called the Wax Museum, which was exactly what it says it is. It was a wax museum, but it also was an auditorium, and it was a place maybe, if I had to guess, maybe the size of the pageant, probably even a little smaller than that. So he's playing these smaller venues trying to jumpstart his career. And like I said, it was a museum. It was a theater. It was left over from the old radio days, the 1930s and 40s. And it was a pretty good-sized place. And I swear to God, it was like a scene out of Spinal Tap because I'm supposed to go backstage and interview Peter Frampton for the radio station. And I'm walking along, and I realize now I have no idea who I am. There's just long hallways all that seemed to be connected, I felt like I should get a food pellet at the end of the hallway. It was like a maze. And I got lost. And I started to panic. My hands, even as I'm telling the story, I'm looking down, my hands are getting a little sweaty because I'm reliving this whole thing. And I'm like, geez, am I going to die in this hallway here? They're going to say, I don't know. We don't know what happened to JC. He went to the show. We never, We haven't seen him since. And so now I'm in mild panic mode and I'm just, I'm, I'm grabbing every doorknob there is figuring it's going to lead me somewhere. They're all locked and I'm just going after hallway, after hallway, after hallway. And finally I'm coming down and I'm starting to hear the music a little louder from the opening act. And I figure, okay, I must be getting close to something here now. And I grab one of the doorknobs, I pop it open and there's Peter Frampton sitting there in a pair of white boxer shorts and nothing else sitting on a, a, a metal chair and he just sort of looks at me like, what? But the reason I tell the story, not only because it was just him sitting in the boxer shorts, but, you know, he had flipped his car. I think it was in the Bahamas and he almost died. And I, I opened that door, saw him sitting there. And because he didn't have anything on but the boxer shorts, I could see this scar that traversed his entire body. It started like at his left collarbone, went across his chest, down his leg to about where his knee was. And I just sort of freak. And I was a much younger, more naive man back then. And I didn't necessarily handle stuff like that very well. <laughs> and he's just looking at me like, who the fuck are you? And I just closed the door and basically ran. And it wasn't until years later that I finally got an opportunity to interview Peter Frampton. And it was a fascinating interview. I loved every minute of this conversation with Peter Frampton. I did not bring up 
the story about seeing him sitting there in his boxer shorts. Just left that out conveniently. Did I mention it's summer? I can't remember if I talked about this or not. You know, I finished the radio show, and I can't remember what I did and what I didn't do. Anyhow, 95 today, stray storm possible overnight, 75, and tomorrow they're talking about hail, high winds, severe storms. So be on your toes. We'll have, obviously, uh, an update for you tomorrow morning when we get to all of this. We know how the dinosaurs died, and the question is, is that how we're going to go? NASA says that an asteroid the size of 100 hot dogs And why they use that as a unit of measure, other than the fact that it's probably something Americans can understand. An asteroid the size of 100 hot dogs flew past the Earth yesterday. It did not hit us. We did not die. A record number of Americans are living alone. You know, I uh, have quite a few female friends who have gone through, in some cases, a marriage, a divorce, maybe got a couple of kids who are now grown And it's not so much that they've sworn off men, is that it just isn't a priority. Now, I couldn't live like that. I got to have a woman in my life. But these women, and they're attractive women, smart, you know, good careers, got a little money in their pocket, but they're in their 40s and their 50s, and they just don't seem to be interested in men. They hang out with their girlfriends. They're sick and tired of the dating scene and online dating and match.com and all that sort of stuff. It's just gotten to the point where their attitude seems to be, fuck it, I don't need a man. Oh, you know, once in a while I'll run into somebody and I'll get laid once in a while. That's plenty. But as I'm sitting here thinking about this, I can think of just like a, a dozen women off the top of my head. I mean, attractive women who just aren't playing the game anymore. And like I said, a record number of Americans now living alone. Call it the golden age of hot pockets. You know, that's when you come home and you grab something out of the freezer, you stick it in the microwave, and you stand at the sink and eat your dinner. I've been there. All right, I I hate that home run derby thing as part of All-Star Game Week. This time it's in Seattle. I didn't even watch it last night. Vladimir Guerrero won it. That's all I know. But I think maybe it's time that the Major League Baseball All-Star Game update and upgrade itself you know some sports have a skill competition a slam dunk thing in the nba you know that sort of stuff you know we don't need to reinforce the idea that there are home runs in major league baseball major league baseball used to be a much more exciting game than it is now with stolen bases and people you know bunting guys along getting guys into scoring position guys you know stealing home that's what i'd like to see set up some sort of a skills competition I'd like to see a guy be able to bunt. Put a giant X out on the field and say, all right, here's the skills competition. Bunt to that X. Or put a guy in the outfield and have him throw to home like he's trying to, you know, trying to pick a guy off, trying to score from third on a fly ball. And then they put these, like, kids, little leaguers, all over the field to catch the balls that don't go out of the ballpark. And some kid takes one in the face last night, which, you know, you'd think was inevitable. How did they not see that coming? But at least the actual all-star game itself, you know, baseball has the only all-star game that shows any sort of competition. I mean, look at the hockey is the funny one. It's like the final scores are like 17 to 15 because there's no defense. Same thing in the NFL. These guys are barely playing. It's all offense. But in Major League Baseball, because there's something on the line, but even before that was the case, you know, you can go back to the 70s and Pete Rose with the, uh, what was the catcher's name, Barry Foote, I think it was. You know, they, they, they were playing for real and they still play for real. 
and there will be some Cardinal representation in the game tonight. There is a, a code in prison, and one of the codes in prison is you don't mess with little kids. You can murder somebody, just don't mess with little kids. I remember interviewing Mary Lou Retton, the Olympic gold medalist from years ago, and she told me that she won an Olympic gold medal before she even had her first period. And I mentioned that because of this guy, Larry Nasser. This is a really pathetic looking little guy with a worse than pathetic life. He was the uh, former doctor for the U.S. Olympic gymnasts team for the young, I was going to call them women. They're actually little girls, you know, and he was accused and convicted of pedophilia and being molester and, uh, you know, that sort of stuff. Well, he got stabbed multiple times in prison yesterday, part of the execution of the code. St. Louis City SC plays in Los Angeles tomorrow night. This is the anniversary of Bo Jackson becoming an official two-sport star. He signed with the Los Angeles Raiders, even though he was playing baseball with the Kansas City Royals. He was an all-star in both sports. However, even though Bo knew, because that's when they did that whole Bo nose thing, what he didn't know is that trying to do that would destroy his body, and that was all over and done with in five years. 87 to 92, and then that was it. It was fun while it lasted, but you just can't do that. Your body just can't take that. Speaking of bodies, whether you like it or not, the two big stories that continue to perpetuate the entertainment news cycle, Madonna and Jamie Foxx. Now, yesterday, Jamie Foxx was spotted hitting golf balls at a driving range, so he must be doing okay now. They, they said that he was near death. Madonna, who apparently did die and come back to life after one of those Narcan injections, is on the road to recovery. This might surprise you. Robert Downey Jr. says the two most important movies he's made in the last 25 years are The Shaggy Dog and Doolittle. Now, the first one, he said, because it earned him the trust of the Disney Corporation. And the second is because it helped him reset his priorities. Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt continue to be at each other's throats. He built a winery, a French winery, and she says, he's an actor, not a winemaker. He deals in illusions, not dirt and grapes. I'm not really sure what that's got to do with their post-divorce status, but apparently it does. Yesterday, we were talking about Oppenheimer. Oh, and by the way, I made a mistake yesterday because I didn't know what fucking day it was. I'm still so confused after the 4th of July because, you know, people took Friday off and then you had Saturday and Saturday felt like Friday. Sunday felt like Saturday. And then some people had to work on Monday, but then the 4th of July was Tuesday. The next thing you know, it's the weekend. I didn't even know what day it was yesterday. And I'm telling you, that Mission Impossible opens tomorrow. It doesn't. It opens tomorrow. Now it opens tomorrow. I can say that today that it opens tomorrow, but I'll have the review for you tomorrow morning on the radio show on K Wolf and also here on the JC Corcoran podcast. But anyhow, AMC Theaters has that uh, rewards program. And they said that over 20,000 of their members have already bought tickets to see Oppenheimer, which is the story of the creation of the atom bomb, and also Barbie. Both of those movies open on July 21st, and people apparently are very excited to see them. Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg driving the world crazy. These two deserve each other. Elon Musk wants to have a literal penis measuring contest. So they would both lay them out on the table and somebody would measure them. Good gig, huh? I'm sensing, although I have heard absolutely nothing, but I am sensing that we're going to be hearing something any day about the writer's strike. Now, my only joy in life, as far as TV is concerned, 
Got a couple of favorite shows, but I live for the late night talk shows. Seth Meyers, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel, stuff like that. I love those shows. I love them. And we haven't seen him now for a couple of months. But here's the thing as far as the writer's strike is concerned. Episodic television operates, you know, a month or two in advance. So if you're thinking, okay, well, the fall television season begins, you know, sometime in September, we're already approaching, well, we are in mid-July. If those shows don't start airing on time, then everybody starts losing a real lot of money. And then the late night television talk shows, they would just, you know, follow in suit. But uh, one of my best friends used to be the president for two years of the Writers Guild. So I think I'm going to give him a call today and see if he's got his ear to the rail, if he's hearing anything. But something's going to have to give here very soon. Or, like I said, when the fall TV season gets here and there ain't no shows, ooh, that's going to hurt. That's going to sting for a very large group of people. Here is one of the most fascinating. So I'm having lunch with my lawyer today in Clayton. And I can't wait to ask him about this because... I'm not a lawyer, but to me, this looks like an absolutely fascinating case. We all know Sarah Silverman. She was so good in School of Rock. Boy, when she has to play a raving bitch on wheels, God, is she good. The first time I ever saw her, she was uh, doing her network television debut on Letterman. She walks out to the stage. The audience applause subsides a little bit. She grabs the microphone and without saying anything else, just, just starts into a routine and says, the other night... I'm licking jelly off my boyfriend's abdomen, and it hits me. I am turning into my mother. I was like, ah! I've liked her ever since. That nice sweater meat sure helps. Anyhow, back to the case at hand. We know that this uh, artificial intelligence thing, we know how it started. Google basically got together and said, we're going to have the computer read everything that's ever been written. Everything from the Bible and the Koran all the way to Jack Kerouac, newspaper articles, magazine columns, just make the computer read everything, everything that's ever been printed in the history of the world. And the computer scanned it, read it all. They figured out some way for the computer to understand it all. And now Sarah Silverman comes along and says, hey, wait a minute. I never gave anybody any authorization to take, you know, she's had a couple of books and some things that she's written. I never gave anybody any authorization to do that. Therefore, you have infringed on my copyright, and therefore you owe me money. And if for some reason the court would rule in her favor, well, then you could get a class action suit together, and everybody who's ever written anything that Google used in the preparation of this meta AI thing, I mean, it could put this, it could put the skids on the whole AI industry overnight. Now, again, I'm not a lawyer, but it sure sounds like a great and very, very fascinating case. I love this story. A court has ruled that Lady Gaga does not have to pay the $500,000 reward for her stolen dogs. Remember that? Somebody stole her dogs. The woman who sued her for the money because she said, hey, I found your dogs and you didn't give me the $500,000. Well, the only problem was that woman who wants the money, was involved in the theft. It's like the Menendez brothers saying, hey, we killed our parents, but please have mercy on our souls because now we're orphans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People were a little nervous back on this date, 1979. That's when Skylab was scheduled to crash to Earth. And NASA was telling everybody it's probably going to be in the ocean somewhere, but we're not 100% sure, which didn't sound very reassuring to 
many of us. The debris was scattered along the Indian Ocean and parts of Western Australia and, and didn't do any damage. I remember this story vividly because my then brother-in-law filled his entire garage with Coca-Cola. It was 1985, and they introduced new Coke, and the stuff tastes like shit. And it required a tremendous blowback from Coca-Cola fans, or did it? Because there's still some people who think it was a conspiracy, that it was planned all along by Coca-Cola to basically say, let's put on some shitty Coke, take away the good Coke, and then people will miss it so much that they'll realize, please give us our Coca-Cola back, and we'll just wipe out Pepsi. Now, some people think that it was deliberate. I don't know if I buy into it. Anyhow, they introduced Coke Classic and said, if you want the Coke that you have known and loved over these many moons, we're going to bring it back. And I don't even think new Coke exists anymore. But my brother and I filled his entire garage with Coca-Cola. And it was two years ago today, Richard Branson made his first space flight. You got to wonder whether or not he's going to blow up one of these days like those guys who went down looking at the Titanic. This is a weird stat, really weird stat. It's been over 21,700 days since JFK was shot, which is the longest the United States has ever gone without a president dying in office. The old streak was 18,966 days from George Washington William Henry Harrison. And today is Amazon Prime Day. As a matter of fact, a couple of years ago, they expanded it to two days. So it's actually today and tomorrow. And people are looking to buy clothes, other apparel, you know, electronics, household essentials like toilet paper. And then you get all the way down to number five, and it's hobbies, leisure, and travel products. And archaeologists in Spain have determined that Ivory Man, a wealthy, powerful leader who was buried in an ornate tomb 5,000 years ago, was actually a woman. And now her name can no longer be spoken in Florida schools. And with that, the J.C. Corcoran podcast for Tuesday, July 11, 2023 is in the can. We're here every weekday morning, Monday through Thursday at 11 a.m. Spread the word if you can. We do the radio show at 101.5 St. Louis, 101.7 West and Beyond on KWolf and KWolf.com every morning. And then we hop over to the Internet and stick this on your device at 11 o'clock every day. As always, you can email me, jc at jconthelinecom You may check out my Facebook page, The Showgram with JC Corcoran. That's it. Watch out for this heat today, 95 for the high, and then big storms and severe weather tomorrow. We'll get to that then. Enjoy your day. In the meantime, we've beaten this one to death. Have a good one. See you later. Bye. And don't say the economy or Iraq or income inequality or racism or Brett Kavanaugh or air pollution or Vietnam or slavery or Watergate or capitalism or Me Too or homelessness or police brutality or homophobia or Monica Lewinsky or school shootings or Native American genocide or Fox News or Tim Allen or climate change. Mm, you make a good point. The J.C. Corcoran Podcast.